Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from the series Colossians, Jesus is Lord. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, good morning. Um, I think whether we like to admit it or not, rule following is a part of the way that, that we're made up. Some of us might rebel against having rules. Maybe we don't really like rules, but deep down, I think we all know that we need rules and we like to follow rules in some way or another. I did a quick Google search on rules for life, and I found that there are 1,820,000,000 results on Google when you just type in rules for life. I mean, it was 12 rules for life, seven rules to happiness, three rules to live by, 10 rules to business success, and on and on and on it goes. And you find out that people, authors, have made millions and millions of dollars of writing a book and putting on the front seven rules to this. And um, if, if you want to write a famous book, just, just put some rules together and, and write that and put it out there, and you're, you might have a good shot at um, making a top seller. But everybody's looking for rules to follow. And to an extent, this is part of how we are created. It's natural for us to gravitate towards something to follow and to have some kind of guideline or rule that we think will help us to succeed or to be better. And we can get caught up in rule following and uh, making something Lord of our life. And we probably never thought of it that way, but when we make something supreme in our life, when we make it our, our hard and fast rule that this is how I'm going to do things, then that can become Lord of our life because we've made it what's most important. And for some, maybe it's time. Maybe time has become the Lord of our life because we allow the clock and how much time we have in our day to dictate what we do and, and where our passions are. And, and it's our time or lack of time that can, can really rule us. And maybe for others, it's money. And, and we spend all of our time you know, just trying to figure out how much money can I make. And I need to make more money. I need to spend more money. I need to save more money. And money can become Lord of our life if it's what we're giving all of our attention to. It could be, and these aren't all necessarily bad things. I mean, it could be our kids. Our family can become Lord of our life because we spend so much time centered around and focused on our kids and making them happy and, and, and hoping and, and instilling things in them so that they succeed and taking them to every activity and every sport under the sun and, and spending all of our time on our kids to where they become Lord of our life. And listen, whatever we spend our focus on, whatever gets most of our attention and whatever our energy is, is, is poured out into, that's what ends up being our ruler, our, our Lord. And we all have seasons of life where something other than God is what is ruling us. But it's good for us to reflect, I think, and to ask ourselves, who or what is Lord of my life? And that's why we're in this series called Jesus is Lord, because the Bible tells us that Jesus should be Lord of our life. And I think we all know that deep down, but maybe we don't really live it out and don't really show it in the way we live our lives. So we have to ask, does, does worshiping God and pleasing God with my life, is, that's what, is that what's directing what I do and why I do it? Or have I gotten caught up in rule following and morality for the sake of pleasing others and looking good to my peers? Because you see, the Christian life is so much more than following rules, but we can get caught up just because of our nature in rule following. Simply following rules is called moralism. And anyone can have a moral life. Anyone can live a moral life by following certain rules to a certain extent and, and live a good life. But we found out from the gospel that, that following rules is not how we receive salvation. Salvation is found in accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. And I think many are good with Jesus as Savior, 
I think all of us would say, yeah, I, I really want Jesus as my Savior because I don't want to go to hell. I want to be in heaven with God. So Jesus is my Savior. That's great. But making him Lord, that's a different story. Because when we make him Lord, that means that he rules over every aspect of our lives. That means that he is what we focus on and, and live our life for, that Jesus leads everything. And that means that there has to be life change. That means that there has to be different priorities in life when Jesus is Lord, other than, than time, money, or family, or things of this world. When Jesus is Lord, then things start to look a little different. So today, as we continue our series titled Jesus is Lord, we're going to hear Paul address more of what that looks like in our lives. So if you would, please stand with me and turn to Colossians chapter 2. That's on page 984, that Bible that's under your chair, if you want that. It'll be on the screens for you as well. As we read, we're going to be in Colossians 2, starting in verse 6, as we continue straight through Colossians. Here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished together and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You can be seated. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, in this passage, there are several reasons why Jesus is worthy of being Lord of our lives. And we find out about this, this, these rules and that they were trying to live by, and Paul addresses that. In verse 6, Paul reminds us that since we've received Christ as Lord, we are to walk in him. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And to walk in him, that means walk in his strength. Walk in the strength of Jesus. Allow Jesus to guide you, to strengthen you, to be the reason for everything that you do. So since you have Christ, you walk in him and live according to what he has for you. Verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I like that how he says, be rooted in Jesus. 
And listen, I wrote this in the column of my Bible. I, wrote, I circled that word rooted, and I wrote in the column of my Bible, what you are rooted in will determine the fruit you display. Now think about that. Are you rooted in Jesus, is, and is that determining the fruit that comes out of your life, or are you rooted in things of this world? Because what we're rooted in, what we're focused on, what's Lord of our life, where we're sinking our roots down, that determines the fruit of our life. If we're rooted in money, and that's our focus, and that's our Lord, then, then things that deal with money are going to be what determine the, the fruit of our life. And, and if we have lack of money, and we're always stressed over money, then our life's going to be stressful. We're going to be short-tempered. We're going to be easily frustrated. But when we're rooted in Jesus, then that determines the fruit of our life. And when you start to see the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, when the soil that we're rooted in is Jesus. And you think of a plant, if a plant is rooted in toxic soil, then it's not going to be healthy very long. And, and the fruit that comes out of it is not going to be worth eating. However, if a plant is rooted in miracle grow, then it's going to flourish because it has all the nutrients that it needs and it's going to be healthy and it's going to develop good fruit. When you're rooted in Jesus and Jesus is what is nourishing you, then you're going to look like Jesus as you mature. So being rooted in Jesus is like being rooted in spiritual miracle grow because Jesus will miraculously from the inside out help you grow and you will grow by his divine power, not by how well you can follow rules it's going to be a supernatural thing that happens from the inside because you're rooted in him, you're rooted in his word, and it starts to transform you from the inside out. You see, we get it backwards because we think if I can clean up my act, I can get all these rules together, I can follow everything, then I'll look more like Christ. And we might be able to do that to an extent, but we all know that we fall short and we, we fail when we do that in the flesh. But when we turn it around and we say, all right, I'm accepting Jesus. I understand he lives inside of me. I'm going to be rooted in him. I'm going to be rooted in his word and I'm going to allow him to change me. Then we start to develop the fruitfulness that God desires for us because Jesus is nourishing us and not the things of this world. And then that's what Jesus warns against in verse 8, and then you see, or Paul, and then you see there's nothing better to be rooted in um, than Jesus because Jesus is God. If you go to verses 9 through 10, it says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And I want us to look at two words there, deity. So we have to ask, what does that mean? Well, that means Jesus is God. He is the deity. He, the whole fullness of God is in Jesus. And then bodily tells us that Jesus is man. So he's fully God, he's fully man. That's what the Bible tells us. This is telling us that Jesus is God in a man's body and that he has all authority. Now, as God, Jesus has all authority. So ultimately, Jesus is authority over everything, over family, school, business, over the media, over government organizations. Now, they may not follow him. They may not acknowledge that, but Jesus has all authority. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus has this commanding authority over all things, yet he still understands common people because he was born into the flesh. He was born just like us into this world. He was born into a despised race in the humblest of towns. He wasn't born as a, as a rich king. He was born um, completely dependent upon his parents to raise him and take care of him. Have you ever thought about that? The God of the universe, the creator of all things, our savior was born. He didn't come and just show up as a man and say, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to, take this over and I'm going to make everything happen. He was born into a helpless little infant baby that was held by his mom and they had to take care of him. You, you think about the vulnerability there that, that Jesus allowed himself to have for our, for our sake. And he knew what it was to experience pain 
He knew what it was to, to have enemies against him. He knew what it was to, to have police brutality against him. He was beaten by those that arrested him, right? So he had all these things. People were attacking him. They were, they were abusing him. He, he underwent excruciating pain with the flogging and then hanging on the cross for our sake. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So here's Jesus. He gave up his place in heaven. He gave up all the riches of heaven to come here and be poor in the flesh, live in poverty, be despised by the world, so that you and I, through faith in his saving sacrifice, because he lived the perfect life that he sacrificed for us, that we could have the riches of heaven. I've heard it said that Jesus was so much man that he slept in a bed, and so much God that the storms ceased when he spoke. He was so much man that he wept when Lazarus died, but he was so much God that he raised Lazarus from the dead. You see, that's why Jesus is worth being rooted in, because he is God. He is the full deity. He has all authority over all things. And yet he also understands your personal needs because he became a human just like you and just like me. That's why I love Hebrews 4.15, the amplified version says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. So you see, Jesus is worthy of being Lord because he has all authority and he fully understands us. He understands your struggles. He understands your pain. He knows what it's like to be human. He's been tempted just like we have. He understands the weakness of the flesh. Yet he never sinned. And Paul reminds us that he is our perfect Lord. He is God. And that he lives inside of us. And last week the whole sermon was focused on that truth that Jesus lives inside of us. And, and we have to remember that we don't just study this text in itself. It's, it's within the context of the whole letter. Last week he was talking about that, making a big deal about how Jesus is in you. He lives in you. If you didn't get a chance to hear that sermon, go to the podcast and listen. But it's really about when he lives in us, then, then that's what others should see is that Jesus is alive in us. And verse 10 says, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So the one who rules over all things, the creator of the universe, Jesus, lives inside of you when you place your faith in him, when you believe in him, when you accept him as Lord and Savior. He lives inside of you. Do, you. do you recognize the power in that? Do you understand how transformative that should be for us? That our Savior lives inside of us. You're filled with him. Therefore, he should be what is flowing out of you. So we have to ask ourselves, is, is that what's flowing out of me? Is Jesus, is, is, am I rooted in him so that what's flowing out of me looks like him? But we have to ask, well, first of all, how do I get filled with Jesus? How does that happen? Verses 11 through 12. In him, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, we all have this dual nature living within us that pits our flesh against our spirit. And, you know, some have called it, you know, thorns versus halos. And, you know, it's the idea of the little angel sitting on one shoulder whispering in your right ear while the devil's sitting on the left shoulder whispering in your left ear. You know, we have this constant battle 
between right and wrong, between flesh and spirit. And what Jesus does when we make him Lord is he fills our heart, our mind, our soul, and he does a spiritual surgery that helps us put off that flesh nature. His spirit lives inside of us so that when temptation comes, if we're rooted in Christ and we are in his word and we are prayerfully spending time with God and we are seeking him with all of our heart and we're saying, God, I want you, then when the temptation comes, and it will, we will be able to, to, to hear that little devil whispering and we'll say, no, I don't want that. I want what Jesus wants. I want what he wants because he lives inside of me and he will empower you to overcome that temptation. That's what he does for us. So we have this constant battle, but we have victory over that when we are in Christ. We have to understand that circumcision that's talked about here, it was done as a physical sign of the descendants of Abraham to show that they belong to God. So God had told them in the Old Testament times to be circumcised, and that will be a, a, a display of the fact that you are God's people. So they were to be a distinctive people. They were to be set apart, and that's what circumcision did. The flesh had been cut away as a symbol of following God as Lord. And, and now, today, we're not commanded to be circumcised anymore. We are commanded to be baptized and baptism is this outward sign that Christians belong to God and that we're to be a distinctive people. It's, it's a symbol of us saying the flesh is being cut away and I'm going to live by the Spirit now. So when we're baptized into Christ, we become a different person inside. We're born into a new life. You know, in my teenage years, a fond memory for me is of my dad listening to talk radio. And, you know, when I was young, I didn't like talk radio. I liked, you know, listening to music. And I thought, I'm never going to listen to talk radio. Now I'm older, I'm listening to talk radio. You, it's true. You turn into your parents, okay? It happens. I know, kids, you're thinking, no way, but it happens. But he would always listen to talk radio. And one of the shows he would listen to was Paul Harvey's commentary. And, and I just, I, I would actually be fascinated by Paul Harvey. I loved how he spoke, what he would talk about, and how he would weave these stories. And I remember... And I found this, that he had shared about the role that baptism had in his life. And here's what Paul Harvey said about baptism. He said, the preacher had said there was nothing magic in the water. Yet as I descended into its depths and rose again, I knew something life-changing had happened, a cleansing inside out. No longer did there seem to be two uncertain contradictory Paul Harveys, just one immensely happy one. I felt a fulfilling surge of the Holy Spirit, and afterwards I cried like a baby. A kind of relief, I suppose, that is so immense as to be indescribable. Since totally submitting to him through the symbol of water baptism, my heart can't stop singing. I've taken off a lifelong habit of fretting over small things. Also, perhaps because baptism is such a public act and because one's dignity is just as drenched as one's body, I've discovered a new unselfconsciousness in talking about my beliefs. You see, Paul Harvey... He understood that baptism was so important to his faith as it was a part of this spiritual surgery that God desired to do in his life. He actually realized that baptism was an important part of giving himself over to this life that Jesus had for him. It was this, this putting off of the flesh and saying, I'm, I'm not going to worry about what others might think. I'm not going to be nervous about the water anymore. I'm not going to think on the things of the flesh. I'm going to think on the things of the Spirit, and I'm going to follow Jesus because he said to do this. You know, Old Testament, it was circumcision. I think we've got it kind of easy that now it's baptism. It's going under the water. And as we stand in the baptismal waters, we stand in there in our old life saying, I'm professing faith in Jesus, and then we symbolize our old life, and then we go under the water saying that old life is dying, it's dead, it's being buried, and we come out of that water, and we come out of that water to a new life. That's the symbolism of baptism, and it's a public profession to all those who witness it to say, from this point forward, I'm going to sink my roots into Jesus. 
that's who's going to be what I'm rooted in, and I'm going to allow him to do spiritual surgery in my life, to change my heart from the inside out. Now, verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I want us to notice, he doesn't say here you were spiritually sick. He doesn't say that you were kind of getting it right, following the rules, but you were stumbling along. He doesn't say that, you know, you had just strayed. He says that in your sinfulness, you were dead. He says you were dead in the flesh, but Jesus brings you back to life. Listen to this. In our flesh, in our own rule following, in our own morality, in our own efforts to, to, to get close to God, in our own strength, we can only be so spiritual. We can try to be spiritual, but it's still not good enough for heaven. It's still not good enough to be in the presence of a pure and mighty, awesome and holy God. We all fall short, no matter how good of a rule follower we are. In fact, the Bible says you're as good as dead. But God says, you were dead, but I can give you life. You see, we do have a loving God. He doesn't just leave us for dead. He says, you were dead in your sin, but guess what? I'm going to offer you life. Jesus, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that God doesn't just make sick things healthy. God brings dead things to life. And he desires, once we're brought to life, to sink our roots into Jesus so that we grow in godliness. God's desire is that everyone would have life. John 10, 10 in the Amplified Version says it this way. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Did you know God's desire for you is that you would have joy in abundance, life in abundance, that you would enjoy life, that your life would just be overflowing with God's presence and with his grace and with life to the full. God wants you to enjoy life. And when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and you get baptized, that marker setting your, your life apart for him, then he says, I will give you a new life. I'll perform spiritual surgery on you and I'll give you a new heart and you will have a desire to live for him and not just follow rules because he also defeated legalism of the law. Verse 14 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, there's this sense in which the Old Testament law, including the Ten Commandments, it was against us because it was opposed to us, because it's this unrealistic standard of perfection that no one, not one of us could meet. We can't meet the law. The Ten Commandments are really there to show us how we fall short in our rule keeping. It's to point out to us that we need God, and we need His salvation, that we need Him to give us life. Because when we get honest about the rules and the Ten Commandments, none of us can keep all of them. If you look at them and read them and get really honest about them, you recognize, I can't do that. Therefore, there's a price to pay for falling short of God's perfect law, and that price is death. But Jesus came, and he canceled that debt. He says, instead of death, I'm going to offer you life. And he sets us free. Now, our salvation no longer depends on keeping that Old Testament law, but it's the mercy and the grace of God that offers us salvation. So the law has been defeated. And guess what? So is Satan, and so is his army of demons. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Something I want us to focus on and embrace today is this truth. Your enemy is Satan. 
He's in an all-out war, attack to try to take you down. However, when you are in Christ, he's been disarmed, and he has been put to open shame. You see, I think as Christians, we often give Satan way too much credit. We often allow him way too much power. We give him too much credit, and we say that we think, uh, we talk as though he's winning. Now, if we're living without Jesus as Lord, then, then he still has a lot of influence, he still has a lot of power, and he's working to take you down, to keep you separated from God. However, once we allow Jesus to be Lord of our life, the enemy no longer has power over our lives. You gotta claim that, you gotta recognize that, and understand that when Jesus is Lord, the enemy can't defeat you. He's been defeated. He can try to scare you, he can mess with us, but all he has is accusations and scare tactics. He has been disarmed by the gospel of Jesus. The other day I was walking through my house and I came around the corner into a room and I was ambushed by Callie, my daughter, with a Nerf gun. And now at first, you know, when, I, when, when it first happened, I was like, ah, you know, I was scared, I was nervous. And, and then I realized after a moment that once the darts hit me, that well, they really have no effect. That's not really, you know, I mean, they don't hurt. They just bounce off. Listen, that is all the enemy has. He will try to scare you. He will try to ambush you, but he has been disarmed by Jesus. And we have to learn that and live like that and claim the name and the power of Jesus and that Satan has no power anymore. See, the reality is Satan's just fighting with darts. Jesus disarmed him. If you live your life under the lordship of Jesus, all the enemy has is a Nerf gun and false accusations because the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it washes away every one of your sins. You are forgiven by faith in Jesus. You're made new by the power of Jesus. You have new life in Jesus. So start walking in him. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying start walking in him. Get your roots sunk down into him. Get rooted in him and protected by him and enjoy this victorious life that he offers you in Christ. Revelation 12, 12 says that Satan is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He's furious. He's angry. He's trying to take people with him. Time is short. And that means that if you've not placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, time is short, and you have Satan furiously chasing you, trying to take you out. But guess what? God says, it's okay, I give you life. I'm offering you life through Jesus. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He will save you, and he will be Lord of your life when you get rooted in him. So I hope you'll do that today. I hope no one here will leave today without receiving everlasting life through placing your faith in Jesus. And we'll help you. We'll help you start that journey. We'll help you walk with Christ and learn what it means to walk with him and walk in him. Because we all need each other. That's why we gather. We need each other to stay on the right path and to follow the guidelines that God gives without getting caught up in the legalism of rule following. Because next, Paul then begins to, to warn them that there's going to be self, um, there's going to be well-meaning believers. There's going to be people who will want um, you to restrict your freedom in Christ by adding additional rules to the Bible. Verses 16 through 17 say, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And the reality, we all know this, is that there are believers who will judge you by their own extra-biblical standards. 
You know, sometimes you, you, maybe you growing up heard these things, or we've all probably heard statements like, you know, you, you shouldn't eat pork, you shouldn't drink caffeine, you, you have to dress a certain way, you can't wear makeup, men should never shave their beard, don't go to the movies, the list goes on and on and on, and we put these extra things in, and often these rules are begun with good intentions because we're just striving to, well, I want to look like Christ, I want to stay away from temptation, I want to make sure that I'm living a holy life, and it's good for us to have guidelines to keep us from stepping into sinful situations so guidelines are important, but if we impose those rules on everyone and judge someone's spirituality by those rules, then we're becoming legalistic and we're actually opposing the gospel of Jesus. He's saying you have freedom. You're saved by grace. And, and then when you're rooted in Jesus, then he begins to show you how to live. He begins to change your desires. He changes you and transforms you from the inside out. Paul says, don't be intimidated by those who try to impose rules upon you and try to seem more spiritual um, because of their rule following. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. So I saw that word asceticism, and I thought, let's define that, because what is asceticism? Well, it's a severe form of self-discipline and avoidance of all indulgence. Now, on the surface, that sounds good. We want to, you know, I don't want to, I, I want to make sure I have self-discipline. That's a good thing. I want to avoid indulgence on things. But he's saying, don't let that be what, what defines your spirituality. Don't let that be whether you look at someone else and think they're a Christian or not because of whether they avoid things you avoid or they indulge in things that you wouldn't indulge in. The Amplified Version says, don't let anyone question your freedom in Christ with their mock humility. And the danger sometimes is as we become Christians and we're trying to follow these rules and we're trying to look as holy as possible on the outside as we start following all these rules and then we look at others and think, well, I can't believe that they would do that because I would never do that. And he's saying, don't get caught up in that. He's saying, you've got to guard against legalism. And sometimes legalistic people can appear to be the most spiritual. But right here, the Bible says that they have mock humility. Because all of us know that no matter how well we follow rules and how we try to paint a picture about ourselves, we know deep down inside that, that, that it's false because we still fall short. We still fall to temptation. And the only way to overcome those temptations is by digging our roots into Jesus and allowing his Holy Spirit inside of us to help us overpower that temptation. Because all of our, rule, try, all of our attempts at rule following will fall short. He talks about them and says they'll boast about detailed visions that God's given them. They'll, they'll do those things to justify their authority. And if we're not careful, following all those kinds of rules and adding extra biblical rules to our life will end up um, not growing us spiritually mature, but it will end up causing us to be legalistic. And then instead of having freedom that God wants for us, we end up right back in bondage. So he's saying, I didn't deliver you out of bondage so that you could go to freedom and then right back to bondage. He's saying, I, I, I freed you. And, and sometimes we go out of grace and into legalism. And Paul says, those people, they've lost connection with Christ as Lord. Verses 20 through 23, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what he's saying here is avoid the temptation to add anything to Jesus. Our temptation is to say, I've got Jesus plus my 
strength, Jesus plus my discipline, Jesus plus my ability to do these things over here, look how holy I am. He's saying, don't add that stuff to it. Jesus is enough. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. When you root yourself in Jesus, then you allow him to give you the freedom and the grace, and you allow him to overcome your temptations, you allow him to empower you, you allow him to save you, and he then teaches you what it means to truly follow him. And when you're saved by grace and you're following him and you understand the freedom that you have in the gospel, then his guidelines become a part of your nature because he dwells fully inside of you. Instead of how we try to flip it sometimes and we try to follow the rules, a set of rules, so that God is pleased with us, it's the opposite of that. When we allow Jesus to live inside of us and we get ourselves rooted in him, then following his regulations becomes part of our nature, becomes who we are, and we do it because it's pleasing to God, not so that we can try to please God. Is that making sense? I know it's, it, it's, it's confusing, but we can get caught up in that legalism. He's saying, you've got freedom. And he's saying, you know, the Bible tells us, it does show us that there is importance in, in self-discipline. There is importance in following what God commands. There is importance in desiring to please God. But we cannot make those rules and regulations, those restrictions, a test of spirituality. He says, you're free in Christ, therefore walk with him. So the Bible makes it clear guidelines are good, but it's not those rules and guidelines that stop the sin in our life. If you look at the last part of that verse, it said they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, we could have all the rules around us and all the regulations and all the guidelines, yet we're still going to find a way to sin. That's just part of our nature. We have this sin nature inside of us. So all those rules in the world don't have value in stopping that sin. It's only the power of Jesus that can do that. It's only the power of Jesus that can overcome our sin and, and, and make us new and give us new hearts and new desires. And that's why it's so important that we be rooted in Jesus as Lord. I once heard a statement that goes something like this. Freedom is like a tree planted by the water. Uproot that tree and it's free only to die. To remain truly free, it must remain attached to what is life-giving. You see, you and I, to truly have freedom, we have to be rooted in and attached to our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. It sounds a lot like what Jesus himself said in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the question for everyone here today is, are you rooted in Christ or are you rooted in the world? My prayer is that everyone will leave here today with your roots planted in the soil of the gospel. You can do that by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. I want to invite you to the altar. Maybe today's the day that you're saying, you know what? I've been rooted in the things of this world. I've been trying to follow the rules. I've been trying to be moral, and I thought I was doing it right, but I recognize today that I can't be good enough, that I need salvation from Jesus, and only Jesus can overcome my sin. If you're in that place, please come to the altar, and I'd be glad to meet with you. I'll be in the front row. I'd be glad to pray with you. Then afterwards, we have, um, we have um, volunteers that would love to meet with you and help you in your journey. Maybe you've been a Christian for some time, but you've still been sinking your roots into some of the wrong things, and you just need to come to the altar and just say, God, I, I understand that I need to be rooted in Christ, and that's how I'm going to live from this point forward. Maybe you haven't been baptized. Maybe after hearing God's word today, you're saying, you know what, I need 
to be baptized. I need that public profession. I need that outward expression of my inward devotion to Christ. I need to do that. Maybe God's been calling on you to do that, and today's the day you commit to it. And We'd love to have that filled up and have it ready for next weekend for some baptisms. If you want to do that, you can come forward. There's cards here that you can fill out. You can just talk to me. We'd be glad to help you take steps in that. Whatever the case, I want to invite you forward as we worship God. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that you love us so much that even while we were still sinners, you, you came and you died for us. That you, being an awesome and mighty and wonderful God, you knew that, that we couldn't live up to the law. You knew that we needed salvation. You knew that we needed help. And God, some of us in this room today are recognizing that for the first time. We've been trying to live moral lives. We've been trying to make it on our own, but we recognize that we need salvation, and that's found through placing our faith in the saving grace of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, I pray for those who need to make that decision today. You give them the boldness to just come to the altar, and, and we, we rejoice in that with them. For those who, who need to make that decision of baptism, I pray, God, that you would give them the boldness to come forward and say, today's the day I need to do this. For those maybe that just need to come and just pray and say, God, I've been rooted in some of the wrong things lately. I've gotten, my, I've gotten sidetracked and I haven't been rooted in Christ. Pray maybe for some of those recommitments today, those times of saying, you know what, I'm going I'm to walk out of here today focused on rooting my life in Christ so that what flows out of me looks like Jesus. God, we worship you and we love you and we devote our lives to you. We thank you for Jesus who empowers us, who strengthens us, who protects us. So as we worship you now, we open the altar and we ask, Lord, that you do a mighty work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the series, Colossians, Jesus is Lord. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.